The moments that make us go, wow, are the moments that can change our lives. Those are the words of psychologist Jonah Paquette, author of Awestruck, How Embracing Wonder Can Make You Happier, Healthier, and More Connected. Joining me on Mind, Body, and Beyond, Jonah Paquette shows us how cultivating a sense of awe can help us overcome loneliness and depression and can benefit society as a whole. In Awestruck, you'll also learn actionable tips on how to experience more awe in your daily life. You describe awe as an encounter with something vast and at the same time, an experience that transcends our understanding of the world. Tell me more about what you mean by that. Uh, so one of the first things in writing a book about awe, talking about awe, is uh, just getting on the same wavelength of what we mean by it, because it can obviously mean a lot of different things to different people. So I would say the shorthand would be, you know, the moments that make us feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves, uh, or even more of a shorthand could be you know, the moments in life that make us go, wow. But if you're really trying to operationalize and, and get on the same page of what we mean by awe, those are the two ingredients that most researchers have centered on, uh, this idea of vastness plus transcendence. So vastness, when we encounter something vast and bigger than us, it could be in the physical realm, of course, you know, gazing up at the night sky, looking at across an incredible landscape, uh, standing in front of an incredibly tall skyscraper, but it can also be in more of the idea realm or the conceptual realm. So uh, encountering uh, beautiful works of art, uh, listening to somebody who uplifts us. So there's different ways that vastness can, can take hold. And then that second piece of accommodation or transcendence, those are the two terms that show up in this, uh, in this research as well, speak to the idea that there's something about the experience that stretches us. There's something about the experience that opens our eyes. Uh, there's almost an element of surprise uh, when we encounter something that's awe-inspiring. If we know exactly what it is that we're gonna see and how we're gonna feel, it doesn't tend to really evoke that sense of wonder. Um, but when we have that layer to it, that is one of the things that really um, is a big part of the experience of awe. As I was reading your book, all these memories came flooding back to me of, of beautiful epiphanies and awe-inspiring experiences I have had too. Um, luckily, the good ones, not the scary ones like you talk about mm -hmm. in, your, in your book. But I um, thought, and before I read your book, I thought that it was all random and you don't know when awe is going to strike, but you have something else to say about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it certainly can be random. And I think many of the experiences too that come to mind in my life that have been, um, you know, consistent with that feeling of awe have certainly had that happy accident quality to them. You know, you, you round a corner and you look up and wow, there's something there that blows your mind. But uh, I did want to, in writing this book, speak about different ways that we might experience awe, including having some intention around it. So you know, we certainly, I would say there's two main goals that I had in, well, three main goals I had in running the book. The first is just explaining why these moments matter. So, you know, the benefits that turns out it has to our health, to our mind, to our relationships, which I'm sure we'll get into. The second piece was really reminding people that we can have this experience, not just in the profound moments of life, you know, seeing the Grand Canyon or, or listening to a, an incredible, um, you know, musical performance, but really in the small stuff as well. Um, you know, we can have the capital A awe and the lowercase awe, if you will. 
And then the third was kind of, as you mentioned, that we can actually have some intentionality around these experiences. Uh, we can never guarantee that we're gonna experience a moment of awe, but one of the messages that I have in, you know, in, in the second half of the book where I go through about those 65 different suggestions and, and visualization exercises and just uh, tips, it's about giving ourselves more opportunities in our lives uh, to find this experience of all, um, whether that be in nature, whether that's through the arts, whether that's through learning topics that expand our mind, uh, you know, reminders of our interconnectedness to the world and, and even other species around us. But if we walk through life, you know, not with those blinders on that we so often do, but instead we find ways to see the wonder and the profound in the everyday, uh, that we can actually start to open up our eyes to just how much beauty and how much amazing, you know, incredible gifts there are all around us, if only we'll take the time to really notice. That's true. And also, I wonder if synchronicity will also be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, once you get tuned into something. Yeah. I, actually, others have made, I don't necessarily in the book spell that out in terms of synchronicity, but but uh, yeah, others that I've interviewed with and spoken about have, have made that link as well. I think it is a, a potentially big part of it for sure. But let's talk about the the evolutionary side of it and the physiological side. Um, you said that awe brings us closer together, which I don't know if I really agree with. Uh, to me, awe has mostly been a solo experience. Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's two ways that we could think of that question. So there's, you know, the the idea of awe as a solo experience, I certainly, that resonates with me. Many of the, uh, well, I would say it's a, bit, a mix. I can, I can think of moments of awe in my life that have been, you know, fortunate enough to share with others and others that it's just me. And that's been incredible too. Um, you know, what that research really speaks to though, is that even when we experience a moment of awe, um, in a solitary way, even if we're the only one, you know, gazing up at that beautiful sunset or, you know, watching that moment. What both experimental and naturalistic studies have shown is that one of the key ripple effects, one of the key after effects of those moments is it orients us towards being part of uh, the collective. So it, it, it reminds us that uh, in some ways that we're not alone, even if those experiences are A, very brief, you know, some of them are very fleeting and B, happen just to us, what that still does to us is it brings us closer together. And it's, uh, it's been described in this research as the ultimate collective emotion. So it's a very other orienting emotion, even when the experience maybe has nothing to do with other people. It also promotes a lot of uh, altruistic behaviors. Um, so again, it's nothing inherent about watching a you know, beautiful rainbow that you know, we would think, um, well, that's gonna make a person wanna volunteer more or give, you know, donate more. Yet there seems to be something there that when we experience these moments of awe, um, maybe it gets us out of our own heads. Maybe it reminds us of just how amazing, you know, and fortunate we are to have existence and, and to be on this, this planet. Whatever the, the cause is, it, it orients us to other people, but it also makes us kinder, more altruistic and more compassionate. So there's a big link between awe and compassion as well. And then that, third big effect that I talk about in terms of the, the evolutionary benefits of awe is that it makes us more curious. Uh, it sparks that sense of wonder and curiosity in us. And, you know, it, when you think about 
you know, why we all feel certain emotions. You know, why does why do all human beings um, experience anger and anxiety, and, you know, love to, to different degrees? We we can ask, well, what function does this serve? You know, not that you want to be so reductionist, but there there is that that is the reality, right? Seven point seven billion people wouldn't feel an emotion if uh, if it didn't serve a benefit to us, right? And so with awe, it seems like that's where some of this research points to, is that it makes us, particularly the fact that it makes us more connected and it makes us kinder. And you can just think about how crucial those two impulses would have been for our, you know, for the past 200,000 years of homo sapien existence that, um, you know, helps us be here today. The fact that we were able to form collectives and that we were able to engage in uh, reciprocal altruism or even just altruism. Is is there a, a neurochemical aspect to it? Like I'm thinking of dopamine and oxytocin. Yeah. Oxytocin in particular has been linked to these feelings. And and that's interesting too, to the, to the point earlier. So oxytocin for any listeners, uh, you know, that neuro, neuropeptide and uh, neurotransmitter as well, that uh, really linked to affiliation and uh, to, to different degrees, uh, connection. And brain regions that are linked to the release of oxytocin become very, very active when we are experiencing a moment of awe. But to, to, the, to the point earlier, that's a fascinating wrinkle. Like even if I'm experiencing this alone, I'm still experiencing that release of oxytocin. So that I think speaks too to what is kind of an interesting nuance to it of, you know, I'm having an oxytocin, I'm, a, I'm having a, an other oriented experience in a way, even if I'm just looking up at the Milky Way, um, which is strange in a, in, in a sense, but maybe not. I mean, who's to say, but yeah, so it definitely is linked to that. Uh, I would guess that there's other neurotransmitters. I haven't seen that show up too much in the literature, but I think certainly for powerful moments of awe, you can imagine uh, dopamine playing a role. Um, but oxytocin definitely seems to be a, a big one. You work with clients and people sometimes in crisis. Do you think there's any clinical application of this or ways to help people? Yeah, it's a great question. So I am you know, first and foremost, besides my writing and my speaking and all that, a, a clinical psychologist. Um, and many people that I work with uh, to varying degrees are you know, coming in, in you know, online or in person with various degrees of suffering. And you know, I would say a couple of things. It's a great question. Um, I wouldn't espouse awe as a first line treatment for things like depression and anxiety and, and stress and loneliness. But at the same time, that's one of the real eye-opening things that I learned in writing this book is that, um, you know, when we have these moments, regardless of their source, it boosts our mood. So there's a strong link shown between experiences of awe and you know, feeling more positive emotions. It's been shown to lower our stress, um, including in, in one really amazing study, it was shown to lower symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Um, so in both severe stress and even much more, you know, everyday stress, there's an effect uh, that awe has. It makes us, uh, as we mentioned, more uh, connected with others. And, you know, even if we just look at those three areas, the, you know, the sense of connection with others, the boosting of our mood, uh, and the relieving of stress. Those are often such consistent, you know, presenting issues that people come in with that, uh, yeah, to, to that question, even if it's not the only tool in the toolbox that we might use, I, I often will incorporate this mm. element of awe 
uh, in work, even with people struggling with depression or anxiety or trauma, I think it can play a big role. Loneliness, you know, even before COVID-19, we had lived in, by many measures, the loneliest time in human history, according to, to many measures of this. And so anything that we can do that helps us feel less alone, helps us feel more connected, I think can be an important healing uh, part of the picture for people. In the book, you give a bunch of very useful examples on how to find awe in our daily life and how to stop and be mindful. Um, I'd love you to share more of those for us. Sure. Yeah, I have about 65 of those (laughs) and more that I've sort of come up with since. And, you know, like many things when you're when you're, um, uh, you know, when you're writing a book, by the way, for any listeners, you write it like two years before it comes out. And so when people say, well, what did you mean on page 72? You're like, eh, I don't remember that. Uh, but yes, I did, I did write about a lot. And I think, you know, one thing I tried to do, I, I, I identified 10 key domains where we can find all, uh, ranging from, you know, our experiences in nature, for example, was one domain where we would find all. Uh, our interpersonal lives, so the ability to feel love, the, the ability to feel connected uh, as another domain. Uh, I spoke about the present moment, so the ability to just pause in the here and now and and find the wonder uh, as an an area, the the arts and and so forth as a fourth domain. So I came up with those 10 domains and for each, you know, having about six or seven different specific pathways. So I'm happy to walk through uh, just a couple of very in the moment, simple ways or prompts that could maybe help us uh, experience more awe in the coming days. Um, That's a great idea. Yeah, one would be, you know, and this is a very... Um, sort of simple one, but if to get in the habit of just wherever you find yourself, so if you're a listener or viewer to this, to wherever you find yourself on a given day, given moment, to once in a while, just pause, look around, and to scan and identify as many things in your environment as you possibly can, that would be absolutely mind-blowing to somebody, forget about 500 years ago or 5,000 years, even 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. In other words, we are living amongst miracles all the time, technologically, but also otherwise, running water. I mean, all the, just today, you know, having, waking up and having coffee ready, because I had said it the night before, and sending an email to somebody halfway around the world, and flipping a light switch and having a light and turning on a faucet and there's running water. I mean, these would all be considered downright futuristic um, for 99.9% of our existence. Um, So that's one habit that I often will uh, encourage people to to do is just, you know, finding the extraordinary in the ordinary is, uh, I think, a big piece. I think another way to think about this too is just even in the difficult moments of life, and life is always going to have its challenges, just to pause too and to recognize, well, how unlikely is this whole thing that we call existence in the first place? You know, not only on a personal level, I mean, think about all the ancestors that had to survive long enough to pass their genes along before us, all the diseases that, you know, they had to evade and all the predators and and so forth for us to be alive today. But even the fact that, you know, our planet has to be positioned at exactly at precisely the right distance from the sun. If it was a little closer, too hot, a little further, too cold. It's a Goldilocks planet. And on top of that, everything has lined up just so for us to exist. And when we start to really recognize that the odds of that are as close to being zero as you can get without being zero, 
it puts things into a different perspective. All the experiences that we have become awe-inspiring. So that's another sort of way that I would think about that. And then I think just different domains that, that come to mind, you know, really learning about the people that inspire us, uh, that uplift us, whether it's, you know, activists, world leaders, uh, incredible artists, uh, athletes, whatever it is that the people that, who we you know, are mind blown by their, their ability at something is a great way to, to tap into it all. And one before I forget about it, and I could keep going, but I know we've got other ground to cover too. But, you know, I think an important thing for us to, to re remember too, is that, you know, when we simply think about something good or bad, it leads to so many of the same reactions in our brain and our nervous system throughout our bodies as when that thing was really happening. So yeah, what does that mean? Usually we use that superpower for the bad, right? I mean, if your listeners can probably think of times where, you know, something lousy happened to you a week ago, a month ago, five years ago, you start to think about it and it's as if you're having that thing happen. It's a very unpleasant, yeah, rumination. Is this the negativity bias that you refer to in the book? Yeah, so to some degree, yeah, the negativity bias is um, basically where when negative things happen to us, um, it sticks with us a lot, lot, lot further. Yeah, so the negativity bias, um, you know, which makes sense for survival, right? That we would, you know, not want to just write a gratitude list if our, you know, caveman and cavewoman ancestors were were trying to live to see another day. But, you know, this tendency of the mind uh, to replay and to relive the negative more than the positive is definitely linked to the negativity bias. But what I would say is it doesn't have to be that way. Like, if you set aside time to just reflect on and dwell on and replay and to relive beautiful moments of wonder that you've had, beautiful moments of awe, it's not as powerful as when it was actually happening, but it's still really powerful. And you're still having about 70% of those same reactions head to toe inside and out as when it was happening in the first place. So that's another, you could think of habit to create all, like you're not necessarily even going and creating new experiences, but you're finding ways to maximize them and to, to relive them. So yeah, there's many, many ways that we could, of course, um, evoke this feeling of wonder, but those are some of my, uh, I would say, favorite ones. And of course, nature, you know, for me, I live in Northern California and you get me near the redwoods or the ocean and I'm awestruck as could be. So Me too. Or see a whale, forget oh, about it. I'm absolutely. gone. <laughs> uh, what, one thing that I really got a kick out of was every other message I hear out there coming at me from the world is to chill and don't get so excited and definitely awe is not cool. <laughs> and then you're telling us to dive deep into every moment and just lose yourself. And it's just, it made me laugh because it's the opposite of what the rest of the world is trying to tell us. Yes, it is really about um, living life to its fullest in, in many respects, um, which, you know, and, and sometimes that's an excitement behind it. Sometimes you can be sort of chill and, and, and sit back and just, you know, have these moments of, wow, like this is a pretty incredible moment right here. But, but there is this aliveness that I think is really important that the, the message is certainly not one of um, being blasé and it's really capturing life um, in whatever way is you know meaningful to you, really, because um, what evokes a feeling of wonder in one person might give another person a shrug. Um, so there's not a one size fits all, but whatever those moments that make you feel alive, whatever those moments are that make you 
just fill up with this sense of you know, gratitude for existence um, and amazement at, at, at the world around us, those are the moments to hold on to, I think, and to really uh, get in touch with. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about um, the adventures that you had that led you to write in the book about the, did you call it the, sh- the dark side of all or the shadow side of all? Oh, yeah, the dark side yeah. of all, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like looking a, a shark in the eyes or having a bear. <laughs> Yes. So, you know, I think it's, um, it is important to point out that not all experiences of awe are inherently good, um, or, or I should say inherently positive, right? That, um, you know, that definition of awe, that I'm experiencing something that's bigger and more powerful than me, and that I struggle to fully comprehend. You could say that that applies to a lot of things, right? It doesn't apply only to nature and and you know listening to bob marley or you know it, all the it can apply to, to many things it could apply to natural disasters right it could apply to um you know powerful things in nature it could apply to powerful you know negative events in life or 9 11 or the challenger explosion there's many examples of this but yeah there were some experiences that i had um you know one in particular was you know we were uh, hiking in glacier national park and took a blind turn at one point, a, um, a, about a 700 pound mother grizzly bear who was protecting her cubs came charging down the hill full speed. And for about you know a second and a half, it covered a couple hundred feet in, in just a few seconds. They run faster than horses, which I didn't realize at the time until I learned later. Um, it really was one of those moments of, oh, is this, is this it? Um, and then, Thank heavens, it was a what they call a bluff charge, and she just wanted to, she was just being a good mom and making sure that her cubs were not being disturbed because you know they, they get very protective, of course. So it was a false alarm, but they she came within about ooh, under 10 feet, I would say, of you know, she jumped ran from about 200 feet away to just a full stop about eight to ten feet away, uh, right as we were kind of getting ready to fall to the to the ground. Um so you have those experiences and, and those that have seen the fires in Northern California, you know, that's another example that, that comes to mind um, where these terrifying moments of life can still have an awe quality to them without a doubt. Um, and I should add that, you know, there's tons of benefits to awe, to our mood, to our brain, to our bodies. You don't tend to see those really for mm-hmm. negative awe or threat-based awe other than, and this is interesting, you do still see those two that we mentioned at the outset, that even people who experience negative awe um, become, you know, report feeling more connected with other people and they become more altruistic. And you see this oftentimes following natural disasters and other kinds of uh, these moments where, um, you know, even though you wouldn't ever want to repeat it in a million years, there is this cohesion quality that can sometimes emerge and there is this, you know, seeing the best of people um, that sometimes you can you yeah. can see as well. Before this book, you wrote a book on happiness. And I wonder if you noticed any sort of overlap in these two topics. You have come to really see it as one of those core ingredients to a life of well-being, to a satisfying, meaningful life. Um, so, you know, right up there with things like, you know, the practice of mindfulness or the the cultivation of gratitude, um, having a sense of belonging and connection and and meaning in our lives. So 
uh, a lot of my work focuses on well, what are those key ingredients of of a life well lived, um, and how do we build that? You know, um, and I would say that I really come to appreciate awe as being really one of the key ingredients to the good life, uh, which surprised me actually, because I think when I started to write this book and I started to learn about it, I felt that these were, I think, interesting moments, uh, cool moments, mm-hmm. but I almost thought of them as the, you know, the cherry on top of a good life someday. Yes, that's a really great um, analogy. So did I reading your book. Yeah, not the sort of the, the, the key part of the ice cream. And I think what I've really come to, to appreciate is that, um, you know, awe is anything but frivolous. It is anything but minor in our lives. It can actually be a really uh, incredibly important part to that life. You, in the book, you don't really discuss religion much, except at the beginning to talk about how awe has gone beyond religion. Yeah, well, I think um, awe has always been very inter- intertwined with religion. Um, and for most of recorded history, it was actually thought to be this emotional state that only existed in the realm of religion. Um, And then that started to change around the 18th century and and a number of philosophers started to challenge that and and point out this, you know, we we would think very simple idea, but at the time it was a very radical idea. It was the idea that you could actually experience awe through the sound of thunder or the, you know, listening to a beautiful symphony or gazing upon a beautiful painting, Um, you know, watching a beautiful sunrise that that awe was actually accessible to all of us. Um, and that led to a real sea change. So I think what I would say now about is what, what occurs is that they tend to experience more moments of awe that are, you know, have to do with their faith. Um, but it's a much broader emotion that you can experience it in either religious ways or spiritual ways or entirely secular, secular way as well. Um, So I think it's, it's really just broadened and made it more accessible to uh, different walks of life. Yeah. I, I know in my own experience that I've sort of a mix of different, some of it's religion related and some of it's, you know, Mm -hmm. from the world and nature. It's just, it's really beautiful. Is, is there anything that readers have told you that, that, really resonated with them that really had an impact on them reading your book yeah you know you always get which is lovely is when people write and they you know send you a little message and and email and or so forth and and tell you that they really enjoyed it i would say the themes that seem to really that i hear about from from readers and and this is true of both people that write to me but also when i give talks and 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 some of the attendees have perhaps written the book and you know want to talk with me afterwards about it um the themes that have jumped out the most uh if i were to put them into a couple of categories um the first is just a general surprise at how important these moments are i think most people underestimate it seems to me and i count myself in that uh, until they really start to learn about it, uh, there is this sense of like, oh, moments of awe, wonder, those are cool, but not necessarily, wow, those are really important. Um, and so people are often really, I would say, surprised, pleasantly so, that these moments have an impact on our mood, on our relationships, even on things like our body's inflammatory response or our immune systems even change based on these experiences of all. So that's one dimension that people often um, comment on. And I would say the other is just this recognition that 
oh, I thought, oh, is that thing that I have to go, you know, fly out to the Eiffel Tower to experience, or I have to spend, you know, tons of money to go to this place that, you know, maybe gives me those moments. And I would say there's there's been a real appreciation from people too that actually most of these are free and accessible to us. The ideas that you know that that, that come up in the book uh, that it's really more about habit and noticing, um, and that we can find awe not only in you know the pyramids of Giza but the changing colors of the leaves in our neighborhood. We can experience awe. Um, you know, watching a documentary like Planet Earth, uh, we can experience awe in countless times we experience awe when we look up and recognize wow i've got a roof over my head and you know that's amazing that all these things that we often take for granted can actually be sources of wonder so those are the two that i would say people really come to me with we don't have to wait for lightning to strike that we have the power each of us has the power to to start looking at things in a different way. And that's so empowering, you know, especially even if somebody's um, going through a crisis or depression, there is one thing that you do have control on uh, control of in that moment. And I, I, before we go, I want to read the last sentence of your book, which I, I just really liked. You said, our mind wanders constantly, pulling us away from the here and now, but we can experience powerful shifts in perspective by reigniting our awareness of the precious moments in our lives and reawakening our innate capacity to experience awe. The moments that make us go, wow, are the very same moments that can change our lives. It's just so exciting to read that sentence. It just makes you think like, what am I going to see tomorrow, you know? Thank you. I, I'm so glad that resonated. And um, thank you. And yeah, so certainly if uh, if any listeners are, are interested, the book is called Awestruck. And it will, you know, not only give you the science of awe and, and the different ways that it affects us inside and out, head to toe, but uh, different strategies for a more awe-inspired or more awe-filled, not awful, awe-filled life um, in the time ahead. So I definitely would be honored for anyone that checks it out. And um, and I'm always welcome emails from from readers and, and listeners if they have questions for sure. Great. Well, we'll we'll add more information about the book. And I, I have such a, a nice time talking to you, Jonah. And I wish you the best. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah. Take good care. Alrighty. Bye. I spoke to Jonah Paquette, author of Awestruck: How Embracing Wonder Can Make You Happier, Healthier, and More Connected. Thank you for listening to Mind, Body, and Beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and visit us online at mindbodybeyond.co to sign up for updates. Special thanks to Upbeat.io for the great music. I'm Lisa Searing. See you next time.